Good morning, good evening, good afternoon, wherever you are in this world. I hope you are having a beautiful day. So let me start this off by saying this. Because I don't want people to misconstrue my words because I, I was very clear in the other episodes what this was about. I do not support Hugh Hefner in any means. I believe, allegedly, he was who some of these people are saying who he is. The reason why I chose to do this podcast and watch this documentary and take notes, got plenty of notes, is because y'all always want to make us the villain. Black people the villain. Y'all want to say we monsters, we this and we that. And I'm here to prove what I've been saying all along. It's not us. Now, I'm not saying that we don't have our problems in our community. Of course, every community, every culture, the black culture, the Caucasian culture, the Asian culture, every culture, the Hispanic culture has some perversion, some bad in it. But what you all do from the other cultures is try to make foundational black Americans the villain. And this is what I'm not having. I am a survivor of rape. I was in the foster care system and I'm a survivor. Like I said, I can prove that. I don't have to prove it, but I can prove that. When it happened to me, I told, they told me I was a liar, blah, blah, blah. I've always already discussed this in previous episodes. You can go listen to it. However, the reason why I'm doing these podcasts is because I've said it before. There are true victims out here, true survivors out here that will never get justice because you have people out here not telling the truth and they looking for the bag. And I don't appreciate that because there's victims out here, men and women, because y'all never talk about men being violated. Little boys, little girls being violated out here and they will never get justice because y'all are playing with the system and wasting people's time so that is my disclaimer so we're on episode four and it's called the price of loyalty and forgive me if i'm repeating myself because i don't know if i did episode four so um they talk about drugs in this episode so let's talk about drugs in the in the 60s and the 70s where it was free love and people was taking off their bras and uh you know woodstock and all that bullshit i'm old enough to know what was going on back then let's not act like drugs was so taboo drugs was everywhere especially in california do you understand what i'm saying so at the end of the day we're not gonna come because i think this documentary was made in um either between 2019 and 2021 hugh hefner died in 2017 i want to say um so at the end of the day let me get that right because i don't want to be lying up up here because i i ain't known for that when did hugh hefner die september 27 2017 so 
September 27, 2017, Hugh Hefner died. Y'all made this documentary between 2019 and 2021 because you somebody says in there, this is 2021, 17. So four years, between three to four years later after he died, y'all decided to come out and speak. I have a problem with that, but you'll find out why later on in this podcast. So it was somebody by the name of Bobby Kornstein or Kernstein, who was Hef's social secretary in Chicago, um, that they had set up for drugs. So she's a female, and I I want to say Hef started this whole Playboy industry in Chicago. Now I don't know much about Chicago, so I'm not gonna speak on it. However. Um, the feminist movement and the, 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 the religious movements were after Hefner because they felt like what Hefner was doing was, um, not conducive, um, to the feminist movement and the religious people just thought, oh, this is just satanic and y'all all going to hell, blah, blah, blah. But we don't even want to get on the religious movement cause y'all the worst. Um, so they how they felt like they were going to get him because women were choosing to go work for playboy like in one episode they were like women was for every woman who didn't want to be there it was like a hundred women to replace them you know what i'm saying so what they did was set up his social secretary um so there's a guy on there who was like her best friend and he was saying yeah like he was a part of the um he was um his name is keith keith strop and he works to reform marijuana laws um because he'd been working since the 70s you know or the 60s to make marijuana legal and he was saying that um him and bobby and these are his words i wrote them down he was saying him and bobby would do a little coke but it was you couldn't let Hef know. Um, it, like they smoked weed, they hung out with Hef and stuff like that. Um, so one day Bobby was hanging out and the cops stopped Bobby and she had like cocaine on her. And then they decided to charge her and it was her and two other people. They took her to court. Meanwhile, um, she's supposed to get 15 years in jail and she ends up killing herself and they say in here that she ends up killing herself because she didn't want to betray Hugh Hefner now I don't know how true this is but this is what they're saying um so they talk about a drug called um um what is the name of this drug I cannot think of it right now Quaaludes, Quaaludes, because Sandra's on here again. And remember, Sandra was with him from 1976 to 1981. So, and she was his girlfriend. So Sandra was saying Quaaludes was called the leg spreader drugs. And I noticed in the Bill Cosby case, Quaaludes kept coming up a lot. At the end of the day, what it sounds like to me is y'all was all on here taking Quaaludes. Every last one of y'all. I mean, when you look at the parties, I mean, let's let's be logical here, right? Because I'm talking about logic. I'm not talking about emotion. Even as a kid, I don't know how long Hugh Hefner was in California, but even as a kid, I was talking to my husband about last night. I was like, we knew about the casting couch. Um, We knew about... um 
Hugh Hefner's like Playboy Mansion, like you it you know these things because you hear the little whispers and myths and talks around your state or your city. You everybody has them. So in California, especially in LA, we knew about this. Around Hollywood, we knew about this. Even if you lived in the ghetto or the hood or wherever, you knew about this stuff. And I've told y'all before that one of the things about Hollywood and that whole atmosphere, I'm not saying Hollywood people don't, um, people from LA don't go into this industry. They do. But it's more of a higher population of people who aren't from here. And they even admitted that in, um, in this documentary later on down the line. So Sandra was saying that um, the quaaludes were used for sex. And if they gave the girls quaaludes, they were able to do whatever they wanted to do with the men. Well, yeah, you can give somebody a quaalude, but is that person willing to take it? Somebody can hand me a pill right now. At the end of the day, I'm an adult and I chose to go to this party. I chose to go to this mansion. I chose to try out for Playboy. Let's just say it's me because I ain't never done none of that. Um, I'm choosing to be here. Now, when you young, 14, 15, 16, 17, yeah, that's different because at the end of the day, you don't know. You're just trying to fit in. You want to be popular and you want to be seen. And, you know, you hear about everybody was doing drugs everywhere. Let's not act like we were so in, they were so innocent. I was a kid at the time. Let's not act like everybody was so innocent. They didn't know about the drug life. Even as a kid, me watching the news and hearing the stories and reading the magazine and stuff like that, I knew that stuff was going on. So at the end of the day, you you still chose to take it. Um, Sandra always she says she spent most of her time with him and his <coughs> best friend. And she said she claimed that they spoke about Bobby. Um, she knew all of Hef's secrets. She says she never met her, but she heard about Bobby <coughs> excuse me, being approached by the feds to testify against Hef. And she killed herself. She said someone named Joni was Bobby's best friend. And she would say she didn't kill herself. She wondered why Hef wouldn't be upset when Bobby died. Well, it's funny because Sandra, the ex-girlfriend, said Hef wasn't upset. But then you had other people that were saying Hef was clearly upset when Bobby died. He was one of the pallbearers. So a lot, um, you know, the religious groups thought that, um, you know, Hef's mansion was a den of evil and, and wanted it shut down. Well, the whole Hollywood industry is a den of evil, along with the Playboy industry and the hustler industry and the penthouse industry. It all was a den of evil, depending on your perspective. Even the religious, the religious groups are dens of evil because y'all been lying. Um, Lisa Loving said pills were called leg spreaders. Everybody had uh, Lisa Loving worked for Hef. Um, everybody, um, they all have prescriptions. So Lisa says there was a prescription in her name, Sandra's name, Hef's name, and many, many more. Um, said Hef took speed. Now understand all this is hearsay. This is what they saying. Hef is not here to defend himself and I'm not going to defend him because actually I believe this stuff. But again, to be fair, he's not here to defend himself. And the then she goes, the pills weren't in anyone else's. The speed wasn't in anyone else's name. That's what she says. And then she goes, 
it was only in hefts and then um hefts and her and lisa and and hefts and mary and lisa's name so at first you said the pills wasn't in nobody else's name and then you said the pills was in hef mary's and lisa's name and this mary o'connor must have been something and i'm gonna talk about that too um So this um, Mary Cole Loins, she was the playmate in 1973. And y'all got to see this chick. <laughs> you have some people that still live in their past and they still think that they was that person. They, they're still that person today and they old as shit. Well, that was her. And I had wrote a note. I was like, she really needs to stop. She old as shit. Um she had like this crown on her head it was it was she was the first centerfold that sold seven million copies and she's very um she's but she was one of the ones that said hef was very heartbroken but sandra said he wasn't so there's a contradiction there um they were wiretapping bobby um and so all this was going down in um in chicago another girl in 1973 died um of an overdose of quaaludes um bunnies come in and go out but there is always at least 100 girls trying to get into playboy and trying out for playboy the reporter said and one of the things about adrian pollock who killed herself she was supposed to allegedly according to her sister been a drug runner for hef and um she died of an accidental overdose and her family still has all the the costumes and all the playboy memorabilia um so sandra says in the beginning that taking the drugs were fun they even had a dog hooked on drugs and it's funny y'all act like y'all care so much about animals animals are so important and she was telling the story about how the dog was hooked on cocaine and this famous star she didn't name them came in and the dog was jumping all over them and they was like oh no we knew that that person did cocaine because the dog was addicted that's animal cruelty y'all need to be in jail for that um she said she was afraid to speak up um for hef she said she was also to hef she said she was also <coughs> a mule and hef had this skeleton key and he kept all he had the skeleton key that unlocked all the doors in the house and um how she he was 30 years older than her and now all of a sudden she's like i was a child how could he do this to a child how could the girl you was with hef from 1976 to 1981 girl girl nobody told you to go to the playboy mansion you chose to go there so let's not play the victim now and see that's my problem Y'all spent all them years there under Hef in the spotlight, getting all of receiving all the benefits of being in the Playboy house, being a Playboy bunny, being his girlfriend. Hell, hell, Hef was married three times. Let's talk about that. Let's talk about why these women married him. Because that's some sick shit too. If Hef was all these things, which I believe he was, why did three women marry this dude? Hold on. Let me check that. How many times was Hugh Hefner married? 
he was married again again it says three he was married three times um to a girl named crystal harris in 2012 to 2017 kimberly conrad from 1989 to 2010 and millie williams who from 1949 to 1959 so what does that say about you as women marrying this man if he was such a monster which i believe he was allegedly but it was women marrying him so you don't get to complain that he was 30 years older than you you was with that man you stayed with that man you slept in the mansion with that man you had orgies with that man you got high with that man you love that life so you don't get to come back um all these years later from 1981 when you left to 2000 between 2019 and 2021 and act like oh my god i'm so ashamed and and how could he do this to me no that's not how this works um but you can tell okay so those of us who know you had some people who were saying that hef didn't do drugs all he did was smoke weed then you had some people that were saying that he kept pills in his pocket um, wrapped up in a tissue. If you watch his interviews, you can tell that Hef was on drugs because people who are heavily on drugs is something that they do with their bottom jaw. I hate to say this because I love his brother, but you noticed it in Bobby Brown. You know, you notice it in drug addicts. You know, they it's a particular way they move their bottom draw. So if bottom jaw, so clearly when I'm watching the interviews with him, I'm like, yeah, he's on drugs. You can tell he's high. Like he hides Kuda Brown. Like, come on. Um, and the, even the cop. So she had knew some stuff and the cop that was investigating him in Chicago basically was like yeah if sandra would have came forward then we could have you know we could have took you know hugh hefner down and she's coming forth now so that's what i'm saying let's act like you wasn't knowledgeable of what to do um like mickey garcia so the next episode is episode five and they talk about the corporate game and again that's when mickey garcia testified against him because the religious groups and the feminist groups was coming up against him and i think the religious groups took him to court and she was with him from 1973 to 1982 and let me say this about mickey garcia mickey garcia is one and it's only a couple that i could count on my one hand that i believe in this documentary and mickey garcia is one of them now she's friends with sandra and she's friends with that other girl pj Mastin. so i don't care about that because i don't i don't no, I believe PJ Masson and Sandra could have done something about it. Mickey stood alone. Mickey Garcia stood alone and she stood up. When girls had promised to go with her to testify against Hef in court, they didn't do it. She stood alone and she did interviews. So I got to give her that. I got to give her the fact that she did stand up and say something. So she don't have no blood on her hands. She don't. Um... And somebody um, with that worked with them, one of the um, one of the head people that worked with Hef named Matt Learman. I guess he was allegedly an asshole that they were saying. So Mickey Garcia was the director of promotions, and that's what she wanted to be. She was a playmate. 
and um and well I think she was trying to get a cover or something like that and she refused to sleep with him this is what she said and so she wanted to be director of promotions and she was going to school to study psychology so she did modeling because she couldn't afford school she was trying to forge her own path um and she said she felt like she was a feminist because you know (coughs) the feminist movement is supposed to be about women's empowerment and doing what you choose with your own body instead of letting men um dictate the standard of beauty and what you do that's what the i don't know i'm not a feminist so i'm just assuming so she felt like her choice of being a part of the playboy conglomerate she she thought that was a part of feminism too um she said she wanted to call the shop she said she was also raped by somebody famous um and then PJ Maston comes in and she wanted to be like Christy Hefner. In her own words, she said she wanted power. I said, I wrote down here, they all complain about men being in inappropriate. Exactly, um, I wrote, what about Playboy? She wrote, oh, Playboy was like a madman environment. And I know Mad Men was a show, but I never watched it. And she said, women are subservient. So my question after she said that quote, I was like, well, then why did you stay? Because it's not like y'all was locked into staying there. Y'all could have packed y'all bags and left at any time. Now for the models, it could have been breaking a contract. You know what I'm saying? But anybody else that worked for him, why didn't y'all get up and leave? Why did y'all stay 10 plus years? If this environment was so disgusting and gross, which I believe it was, why did y'all stay for 10 years? That's the part I don't understand. Um, And so, um, she says when she was raped, she was a... No, that was PJ Masters. She said she wasn't an active participant when she was raped. But she didn't have no tears. It's funny when you watch PJ Masters. She tries so hard to be emotional. And it don't be no tears dropping. So when the tears don't fall, she covers her face. I don't trust that woman. I don't trust anything that she says. Um, but she did, PJ Masson did have a, a letters. I don't know how, how authentic they are, but she had letters from girls because she told the girls, like, if you have any pl- complaints or concerns, write them down and give them to me. And, um, so she did have letters and things like that. Um, so like I'm saying, I, I believe I believe um Mickey Garcia because Mickey Garcia actually stood up. She stood for something and she didn't fall for anything. Um she was a strong Latino woman because she makes it very clear she's a Hispanic. she was the first Hispanic to, to grace the cover of Playboy. Um she was a very beautiful woman. And so was the sick sister Jackie. She was she was gorgeous. Jackie she she wasn't a playboy model but she worked for playboy and that was another one jackie um jackie fought back jackie didn't take that shit jackie was one of the first people who fought back and let's honor jackie jackie net um she was with the playboy um, corporation from 1970 1967 to 1979 and she actually fought back um she stood up and she said something mickey garcia stood up and said something so I got to give props to those women because one of the things that bothers me is now all of a sudden these w- women are playing so um, victim. PJ Mastin, 
I feel like everything she says is hearsay, but I feel like unless you were talking about your personal experience that you have with people, that's your personal experience. So I can't discount that. But to come out and say what people told you, there's a possibility that that person told you that. But at the end of the day, in a court of law, it's still considered hearsay. Unless you have proof where it's written down and you have them on tape recorder, it's still considered hearsay. So we can't take that as fact. We can take your personal experience as fact if we choose to, but something someone else is telling you is considered hearsay. And that's just law. Um, because the reason why I say that is because she said that Bobby and Adrian were supplying the drugs, but the sister of Adrian also said the feds suspected her of being a drug runner. They said also said the drug cartel was involved in it. I don't know about all that. Um, anytime that the girl Adrian went to get the drug, there was seven to eight playmate girls with her. Um, she wanted power and she wanted better pay. Adrian was com- complaining about she wanted power and respect and um and better play. <coughs> I'm gonna end this part with this. <coughs> Let's not act like we didn't know what Playboy but was. What is the first thing that comes to your mind when you think about Playboy? You knew that Playboy was working. You were either going to be dressed in a bunny suit or you wanted, were going to be some kind of naked being on the cover, being a centerfold, being on the cover, or being in this book. You knew that. <clears throat> so let's not act like we don't know what Playboy is. And that's my problem with these women because they were saying they would put ads in the paper looking for Playboy models. So let's not act like when you went there because you'll notice a lot of these girls said, oh yeah, when I turned 18, I left home because I wanted to be a part of Playboy. You wanted to be a part of Playboy. Nobody put a gun to your hand and told you to go there. Now, yes, true. You probably didn't know the truth of the environment because it was all glamorized on the, you know, the news would talk about it. You know, the gossip columns would talk about it. The magazines would talk about it. Yeah, it looked glamorized. But at the end of the day, you knew the gist of what Playboy was about or Hustler or Penthouse. One of the things they say in here in this documentary is Playboy was more classy. Um, Hustler and Penthouse was beneath us. It's all the same shit. It's all the same shit. I feel like Hustler, Penthouse, and Playboy was all the same shit. Even though Playboy was more Hollywood and you had it was more accepted in the Hollywood California, LA environment, understand that LA and Hollywood are two different entities. You gotta, LA is one thing and Hollywood is another. And, and, and it's a thing, and I'll explain that one day what I mean by that. But at the end of the day, you felt because Playboy was embedded with Hollywood and actors and actresses and stars, and they were always in the news that somehow that was better. You were still looking for fame, power, glamour, and all that, and to be validated in some way. So what we're not going to do is act like we didn't know what Playboy was. That's what we're not going to do. I will not victimize victims. 
I believe that some of these women are true victims. I feel that Jackie Nett was a victim. I feel like Mickey Garcia was a victim. And it's a couple of more people I'll be talking about on the next episode. But this other people like Sandra Theodore and PJ Masson, y'all ain't victims. Because y'all chose to stay there 10 years plus and y'all did not speak up. And it's something Sandra did and it's something that the butler did that I'm going to talk about in the next episode that is truly fucking disgusting to me. So I will see you on the next episode.